This is nautical knowledge and nonsense. In today's episode, I got to interview professional mariner and Columbia River bar pilot, Michael Tolley. Michael Tolley has one of the most dangerous and stressful maritime jobs in all the world. Being a pilot it, by itself is very stressful. The Columbia River bar is exceedingly dangerous. So I was very lucky to get this interview. In it, we talk not only about his work, but also his colorful career, including the time he got stranded in the desert in Kuwait, and how he got attacked by pirates, twice, and also how he rescued several hundred Syrian refugees. So I hope you enjoy this interview with a professional mariner, Michael Tully. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. I'm Captain Johan, and I'm here with... Captain Michael Tolley. Michael Tolley. Well, thank you, Michael Tolley, for, for doing this interview. So, folks, I'll be honest. I thought I was just going to interview a Columbia River bar pilot. And when I say just interview, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating. Like, it's that's a very, very serious job. And uh, we're definitely going to talk about that. But turns out you have an incredibly varied and extensive career with lots of really cool stories to tell. So... Uh, Michael, I, I think to begin, for, first of all, what got you into boats? You know, I grew up on a powerboat in southern Utah on Lake Powell, boating with my parents and my family, my grandparents. I spent my summer months down on Lake Powell. I was always interested in boats, and then it evolved and developed into ships and all kinds, and then sailing and everything else to do with the sea. So yeah, my early days when I was a young kid, small boats. And then somehow I got exposed to the uh, Merchant Marine Academy. I went to uh, Maine Maritime Academy and graduated in 1993. Uh, from there, I went into the Navy. I was a Naval officer and uh, a couple of deployments to East Africa and to the Persian Gulf, of course, and then after that, I needed the antidote to the Navy, I say. Uh, I started uh, sailing on the tall ships, uh, took a job on the schooner Roseway out of Camden, Maine, April of 97. And um, yeah, I did some deliveries up to Southeast Alaska on what are the Nat Geo boats now, National Geographic. Back then we were chartered by uh, World Wildlife Fund and uh, they were Lindblatt expeditions special expeditions uh that just kind of continued on took a job on a corporate yacht uh just bouncing around getting more and more experience ran the columbia river on uh sven lidblatt's boats uh the sea lion and the seabird and that kind of exposed me to the columbia river uh, one of my classmates said, you ought to go talk to those bar pilots. And I'm like, I'm not going to talk to them until, uh, until I've got my master's license, which I was way off. Uh, it was a long ways from getting my master's ticket. Um, from those, uh, it, I went back to the schooner Roseway, eventually meeting my future wife. Um, we got engaged within six months, got married within a year. Got pregnant on our honeymoons, and um, then I thought I have to get a real job. And at that point, my wife and I didn't even have a job. So between the two of us, we were honeymooning and uh, living in Rome and in Greece and all that. Uh, 
life was pretty good. Uh, I had to get a job. I took a job on uh, <laughs> a cargo ship, a general cargo ship called uh, the Wilson out of Oyster Bay, New York. And we loaded cargo for uh, Indonesia and for East Africa. And, and uh, yeah, and I stayed there for about six years. Took me around the world a few times. Um, I got my promotion to captain. Uh, went to a bulk carrier called the Harriet. Got ended up on three or four other bulk carriers uh, with with a different company. And uh, my time on on those bulk carriers, I had uh, good pirate attack, 364 nautical miles east of Mombasa, Kenya, close to Mogadishu and everything. Uh, lit me up you know with a lot of adrenaline going so uh, especially when they were shooting at me and my security guard was laying on my feet saying captain get down Um, from there took food aid pretty much for I don't know 20 years all over Africa all over the world India Indonesia Um, of course we loaded other cargoes as well Uh, but 13 times around the world uh, two good pirate attacks. Uh, I think the greatest story in my seagoing career was uh, November 17th and 18th of uh, 2014. We were sailing back from the Persian Gulf and uh, we came upon a trawler with uh, 241 Syrian refugees. Uh, They'd been at sea for eight days and some of them had been shot. They uh, suffered from seasickness for the, most of these eight days. And beautiful people, women, children, babies, uh, incredible people. And of course, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, that was amazing. Um, I guess there's a lot more to say about that. But anyway, I, uh, that probably put me over the top in my interview to become a Columbia River Bar Pilots, and here I am since 2015. Wow. Um, getting my pilot's ticket here on the Columbia River Bar in January of 2016. So, that's just a just a quick overview. As you see, yeah, we're done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. All right, wow. Well, uh, I mean, geez, where to begin? So, so you're in Utah. You're on power boats and lakes in Utah. What did you have ocean experience prior to going to the Maritime Academy in Maine? Maine you know, uh, the only ocean experience I came up to Oregon to well to Washington, Longview, Washington, to visit my aunt and uncle and my cousins, and they brought me here to the Oregon coast in. Uh, I think in August of 74, and I went to Cannon Beach. That's the only ocean experience I had until I ended up at the Maine Maritime Academy in 1989. In 1974, I just uh, just can't imagine things have changed quite a bit. Yeah, so, but I never forgot that Cannon Beach. Uh, The next time I went to Cannon Beach was uh, on my honeymoon, actually. It had made that big of an impression That's on me wonderful. when I was, what, five years old or so that I always wanted to go back. And I took my my wife with me at that point. 
I always tell you know people just how incredibly rugged and beautiful our, our coastline is on the west coast of the United States, but it it really is. There's a reason it's kind of world famous, and and you don't really understand it until you've you've driven it or sailed it or both to to really get it. Absolutely, it is. Inc- I find it incredibly beautiful out here. Uh, I love the the wildlife we have, even right here in beautiful Astoria. The deer are right here. Quite often, right at my place, uh, you'll see beautiful elk. Uh, there's a couple herds right over here, just close to the coast, and running up and down on the on the beaches, and sometimes, occasionally, in the water. It's it's an amazing sight. So I'm a, very privileged to be here. Wonderful. So from Maine, uh, from Maine Maritime, you you, you got uh, what license? I, well, I got my third mate's unlimited tonnage. Okay. So- Oceans. And uh, I, right when I graduated, I got that ticket, and I also uh, got a commission with the U.S. Navy. All right. So, so tell us about that. What was your experience there? And uh, well, uh, you know, the Navy's kind of against my grain, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I always wanted to do it. I originally wanted to fly planes. I got a little stick time, but uh, basically, with my medical history, I got that didn't happen. It didn't work out so well. So, but. Uh, packed the car up and two of us drove out to beautiful San Diego, California. We were stationed there, went through surface warfare officer school and uh, got through that and got stationed aboard the USS Rushmore, LSD 47, uh, November 8th of 93. And so just 28 years ago, a few days ago. So um, I became navigator on that vessel uh, I started off as a boat wave commander. We put troops ashore in Mogadishu, and I think it was June of '94. The Russian war had been previously there uh, during the initial stages of putting troops in Somalia. I mean, not, yeah, Somalia in Mogadishu, in the initial wave. Um, so, were you there? Were, were you off the the? Coast stream, like the, the actual Black Hawk Down, what is now called Black Hawk yeah, Down incident, uh, or the Battle of Mogadishu? Let me think. Uh, yeah, we actually pulled the USS Rushmore along with uh, 1,800 Marines and maybe a SEAL team in there. We had an embarked SEAL team, and um, we pulled the U.S. liaison office out of Mogadishu, and I was a boat wave commander. I had my own... Uh, landing craft oh, wow. uh, with crew and we led people ashore we led the troops ashore okay and I know we all I, I mean I'm, I'm almost certain we had a carrier task force there as well and there was we, like a lot of a lot of um, I was part of a lot of support arc. for the diplomacy side of things yes obviously uh, <laughs> a big stick <laughs> that's right um, I was part of an arc an amphibious readiness group okay uh, and I believe on that one we were with the USS Tripoli uh, and <laughs> I've done a couple of deployments, so I might be confused. But uh, the Fort McHenry, the USS Rushmore, um, the USS Cleveland, and um, and the USS Tripoli were all part of that. How long were you in the Navy? I uh, on the books until from 1993 to 2001. I was. I was active until February 28th of 97 is when I got off the USS Rushmore. Okay. okay. So, and where, where else did you deploy? If you're, if you're oh, allowed to even talk about it. I don't yeah. Know. Uh, 
Well, uh, we went up to a lot of time up in the Persian Gulf, up in Kuwait. I was on the beaches up in Kuwait as well. Um, I believe it was my uh, deployment in 96. Uh, I believe we held the line when Saddam Hussein moved Iraqi troops uh, back to the Kuwaiti border. And we were right in there. And I put... Uh, put troops ashore there. I, I, at one point, my landing craft caught fire. Uh, I landed it on the beach. I left uh, my crew and I took one other guy and we had our firearms and we wandered. We spent a day in the desert, eventually making it back to the USS Rushmore. I grabbed the other landing craft, went back, grabbed my my boat, my crew, and um, we got back to the to the Rushmore, so but they, it was a it was a crazy uh, crazy experience. So they just dug like foxholes around the, the they, vehicle. I think what, I what felt the, like we were in a safe area, you know. Obviously, co- under radio co- communication the whole time, right? Yeah, maybe not the whole time, but okay. uh, I think I was able to relay a message and get that back to the ship. What was going on? And yeah, um, spent a, a good a fair amount of a good day, hard day in a hot desert. Jeez, um, wow, in Kuwait. <laughs> that, that must have been I think that might have been August of uh, 94 actually rather than the 96 so yeah crazy so eventually I made it out of the Navy <laughs> it was a great experience like I said uh, and I'm still in touch with with a lot of my guys mm-hmm. just uh, it's the people, you know, and you forget about all the rough times. You just remember the good times, but there's a lot of rough times in there. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. Uh, I don't, do you have any really like either really, really rough time stories or really, really good time stories you want to share about, about that time? You know, it's it's been so long and I don't want to go to the bad times other than I will say that day in the desert was rough. Um, I think it was an honor and a pleasure to... To have served for sure, yeah. Uh, but a lot of long, long days. It was nothing to work eighteen to twenty-two hours a day, just <laughs> nonstop for months. Yeah. And you, you can, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't believe that you can actually do that, but you can. Yeah, you might be falling asleep standing up at times, <laughs> and you're just hoping to make it to some beautiful place like Australia for a little R&R, but no, uh, <laughs> I believe Saddam Hussein moved troops to the Kuwaiti border and and we never made it to Australia. Oh, well, but, he, yeah. Yeah, he should have been thinking of you a little more, but yeah. it's all right. <laughs> so you went from long days and hard long days on the Navy to long and hard days on the roadway. What, what, yeah, just, yes, <laughs> what an eye-opener. So... Uh, <laughs> So what was that? What were your first impressions? I don't know what got you attracted to tall ships. That's you know, quite a uh, change. my parents had actually sailed on the Roseway way before I even made it to Maine. And they told me about what an incredible experience this boat was, schooner Roseway. And uh, they took pictures of sailing into Castine, Maine and the school ship. This is what kind of put me onto it. Okay. Um, and yes. I actually called when I was getting out of the Navy. I was planning on sailing my sailboat from San Diego through the canal and up to Maine. I thought Maine's the best sailing ground in the world, (laughs) in my mind. Uh, So, but I went 
back to Maine and I interviewed. I called him up and said, hey, do you have a job? I'll be the mess mate. You know, I'll just do anything. And the owner said, hey, keep, meet me in Camden. Let's let's have a bite to eat and talk. And anyway, he took me down to the, the schooner and said, Mike, I'd like to offer you the job as mate. And that was kind of uh, an eye opener, you know, to go from the Navy to this uh, this schooner. And really, I, I learned a lot of great seamanship and I was really into sailing. I'd learned at the academy, but this really just uh, honed my skills. Um, and it was incredible sailing out of Camden down to, uh, I rigged that boat out stem to stern, hung every block, <laughs> you know, reeved all the blocks, uh, bent on the sails. There were, I had four, four hands working with me and took us about a month and a half to to get her uh, ready to sail. We spent, you know, all summer and into October sailing. It was perfect. It was great. <laughs> so, and I'd planned to sail south uh, down to the Caribbean for the winter, but that didn't pan out. The, the, the roseway ended up laying up for that winter in uh, Camden, but eventually I came back to it uh, in 99 and okay. went open ocean December 12th of 99, crossed the Gulf Stream off of Long Island in a narrow little section about, from what I could tell, about 30 miles wide. It narrowed in there, but there was a storm, big seas, I'd say close to 30 foot seas. It's all on Roseway. On the Roseway. Oh, wow. The boat started flexing. All the sediment in the uh, diesel tank churned up. I'd swapped out ray cores for the main engine like six times, or I want to say it was seven times within six hours, covered oh in gosh. diesel. I needed that main engine. Yeah, we did have another auxiliary pump to pump bilges, mm -hmm. but I had about four feet of water in the bilges at one point. And then I just swapped out ray cores, went up, laid down on the settee i was covered in diesel and nasty seas the engine died i jumped to my feet called all hands to the deck get everything up in the air haul away on all the sails come about head towards the closest point of land which is new york new jersey and uh, i went to work down in the engine room I rotor rooted all the uh, fuel lines, and really there was scale right at, uh, right in the tank, right in the main valve, and I just broke all that stuff up. I spent about an hour, but it was surreal because here you are in big seas, and it's just quiet. Yeah. And you're rolling, and now and you're you've got if you can imagine about four feet of water in the bilges. Wow. The boat. You know, got in those big seas, started flexing, and about uh, 16 inches of caulking on a seam came through. And so you just, and that that side was submerged. That starboard side was underwater. Changed the tack of the boat. If you can remember that, just changing <laughs> the tack. Put it on. The other side was now submerged Yeah. while I was down there in the engine room. And uh, that saved it. I watched the front go through. So that was probably about, close to noon the front blew through at 20 30 hours that same night 20 to 20 30 
I called all hands again. Once we had kind of established it, okay, we got rid of all the water, we struck all the sails, but we kept going towards land until mm-hmm. about 2030. Front came around, the wind came around, got everything back up in the air, and it, that was surreal. At night, seeing all the hands haul away, hauling away together, <laughs> the foresail, the mainsail, yeah, the staysail, and 13.9 knots, right to uh, right through the cut in Bermuda. Wow. Sailed right through the cut. Uh, that was uh, December 18th, if I'm not mistaken. Rounded up, came alongside the dock, struck all the sails, lines out, went ashore for a dark and stormy or two. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day we, uh, we did some sail repairs, mm-hmm. crocked some seams, and uh, left late afternoon. Wow. Bound for St. John, U.S. Virgin Islands, cleared in there December 24th. Uh, took on our Millennium Charter uh, December 26th and spent spent another week with them. And then from then on, we, we returned back up to New England uh, later that spring, May of now of 2000 actually now. Okay. Yeah. Were, were you, what was your job on board? I was captain. You were captain. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah. I, this is too, too much of experience, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's that uh that weather you were in i mean was it proper like it sounded like a proper storm i mean you're looking oh at yeah 30 foot swells so yeah it was you brutal. everything is re- like double reefed and oh yeah and and, and i didn't have the mainsail up i had okay. a trisail uh and really just the trisail and uh reef in the main so folks, but, folks listening might not know this. It's it's basically it's a trisail. It's a triangular small storm sail. Usually they're a lot thicker and yep, harder we, than than your average uh, mainsail for a schooner. We uh, bent the the gaff and the main boom together. Okay, mm-hmm. there are your mainsails right between those two spars, and right above it we had a tackle. Hooked that up to the trisail, and that's what flew from the mainmast, and then our full foresail. And staysail is pretty much what we rode on. All right. Yeah, for offshore winter. And <laughs> yeah, that Gulf Stream and then a storm and then it bucks the storm and it builds. And it's very much like the Columbia River Bar at times. <laughs> Too much current. And when it's going against uh, heavy winds, it's uh, it was like square waves out there. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, for folks listening, we're not we're not neglecting the Columbia River Bar. We're getting there. We're getting there. For, I'm sure we got we got people that are just chomping and they're like, oh, we want to hear about Columbia River. So it's oh, world man. famous. But okay, wow. So yeah, incredible scooter adventures. Um, and then you you said you worked on was it the Wilson after was yeah that right it after used that? to be President Wilson. Okay, uh, when it was American President Lines. Before that, it was American Mail Lines. These were traditional. These were great cargo ships seven hatches uh-huh. uh big booms we could generally we rigged uh yard and stay rig you'd have one boom over the hatch one over the dock mm-hmm. and falls were married up we'd, we'd swing pallets of bagged food aid ashore so you could go to any country that didn't really have any infrastructure and still be able to to do this but we, we could also switch it I'll re-rig all that gear to make it 20 ton. We'd load military equipment, trucks, uh, 
containers. Uh, I loaded the boat for the Sultan of Oman there. Uh, you could do anything with that ship. And we rigged for 70 ton. We could we could lift 70 tons of cargo. That's traditionally like a almost like an M1A1 Abrams say, yeah. tank. So that's referring to the, the size of the container or the package or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. So good stuff. Wow. They yeah. don't, things are different now. Now they, you know, put all the, that cargo on a Roro or a container ship and things have just changed as far but, as. Yeah, but that's just because there's, I mean, there's so much international infrastructure that's that's yeah. standardized, right? Yep. I mean, prior to, I mean, it went, I, I don't even know when that really started coming about, the, the like true standardization and. Uh, well, I think that goes probably back to Malcolm McLean and uh, became Sealand and. You, you know these new container ships and then it's just grown it's just totally yeah. changed phenomenal all right uh, uh so so yes yeah, so you worked on various container ships and you talked to, or not or, for me not container ships really although my maybe my bulk carrier we did carry containers at times or my general cargo mm-hmm. ship we can carry anything we say bulk Bags, bombs, containers. Okay. We could load all that in a single voyage. So, so a cargo the same. Ship, yep, we were right. just a general <laughs> cargo ship. No, no, it's okay. <clears throat> so, and then, yeah, then to the bulk carriers, which is open up the hatches and just free pour, dump, you know, 25,000 tons of wheat or, and then eventually I was on a Panamax bulk carrier, 65,000 tons, 74,000 tons of wheat or corn or rice. And it's like, it takes six trains, 125 cars to fill up one of those ships. Just like you see out here in the Anchorage and Astoria. Mm-hmm. That's how much, what it takes to that's fill incredible. one of those ships. It's, uh, and these terminals can, can pour that much grain in a few days. Wow. And it's, how, how do they offload that cargo when you get to a port? Is it just like a vacuum kind of uh, thing? Or? Sometimes my Panamax bulk carrier actually had gear. So we had cranes mm-hmm. and we'd hook up a grab, a big scoop, I think, to the land lovers, but we call it a grab. <laughs> uh, generally about a five ton grab, five to eight tons. And it would grab that and dump it in a, um, in a, just a bagging machine, basically. Opens, pours, and... You know, for me, I would load in a few days, uh, Houston or somewhere on the Mississippi River, Mm -hmm. sometimes here on the Columbia River, and we'd spend a month discharging that cargo in various West or East African ports. Okay. Incredible experience. Wow. And so so a lot of it was true humanitarian aid? Yeah, chartered out by, we're typically chartered out by World Food Program, Mm -hmm. Africare, uh, Catholic charities, you know, all uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations under the UN. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people tend to forget we, you know, the expression is America does feed the world, but there there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I remember reading it, it. A lot of it has to do with our river systems, like the fact that without the river systems, the Mississippi. Good, good luck. Good luck trying to right. make it cost effective to move that grain from the Midwest. Like it's right. going to happen. So yeah, it's we're I mean, geographically we are just blessed. We <laughs> really are. It's amazing, and you can just look out here in the Anchorage today. I'll 
we'll have to go over there and mm-hmm. you can see all these bull carriers anchored, ready to go up to the terminals east of here, Port of Longview, Kalama, Portland, uh, Vancouver, and quite a few terminals there ready to load. But there's vessels already alongside loading. Wow. So, and there's quite a few vessels offshore ready to come in. So it's... Um, all right. Well, uh, so you did all, you, you had all these adventures. I don't know if that's the right word. Work experience, I'm not sure, but you had these experiences in, in these ships, and then you decided to become a bar pilot. Yes. And applied for that and got it. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah, just, you know, you've, life happens when you're busy making other plans. I forgot and, about sailing in here, you know, in the early days in 98, 99. And about the bar pilots, well, I ended up with not a not so exciting company, good mm-hmm. company though. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had flown to Manila, the Philippines, discharged cargo there, wheat, and I brought the ship. And we had orders for Portland, Oregon. Sailed in here. Captain Daniel Jordan uh, came on board. Uh, did, did he fly out? Yeah, he used got on board using the helicopter he flew out and i thought it was the coolest thing i'm like this is i forgot this is what i wanted to do and i was looking for something new um i was ready you know too much stagnation you know sailing as captain and i i applied i interviewed right after i just did a run to west africa my ship lost air conditioning I had to fire the chief engineer. It was a complete disaster. Uh, a crew member with malaria. And anyway, made it back eventually to the States and walked into my interview. Well, I bombed big time. I was too too, too crazy going into that interview. Um, <laughs> and eventually I got another opportunity to interview again. And uh, I got accepted. Wow. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how, I mean, do, I, I don't know how an interview like that would go. Like, do they put you on a simulator? Like, yeah, they got, can this guy actually drive a boat? Can they, it, you know, the spatial awareness, the timing, like. Just I, to be part of the process is such an honor. I, I thought, okay, I'm going to interview. I'll give myself three or four times and then I'll just mm-hmm. call it good. Okay, it's a week-long process. Uh, typically, we interview at what's called a, uh, PMI in Seattle, Pacific Maritime Institute. They've got a simulator, so you're tested. They're going to amp you up and see how you react. <laughs> Woo! And um, uh, yeah, they give you a chart. You walk on board the bridge in a simulator, and you are the pilot. Take us in. And they throw all kinds of things at you. And, and If there's uh, a pirate attack, you'd already be, oh, I got this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> Very similar to that, actually. Very similar. So, um, well, I can. I mean, I, I just off the top of my head, I could think of some crazy stuff you could pull. I mean, that is legit. Like, what if somebody just has, keels over and dies right next to you? You know, cat has a heart attack. Like, how do you handle? That's you know, uh, a lot of people don't think about that. It happens, but it can happen. <laughs> it happens. Yes. <laughs> you know, for me, the simulator uh, was neat. Uh, you have a physical, you, they test you on ladders, you're climbing mm-hmm. staircases, they put you in a float coat so you're nice and heavy and you're running staircases. They hang you from the overhead with a harness. 
like simulating that you're coming out of a helicopter and spin you around, see if you're going to get dizzy. See, okay. Uh, you're climbing pilot ladders and you've got to walk completely behind the pilot ladder, simulating if, okay, you're on a pilot ladder on a ship, you get hit by a big swell. Now your back is up against the hole of a ship. How are you going to, you got to work your way around there and still be able to climb the ladder. Then you come around, you put two man ropes in your hands, come down another pilot ladder and spring off. And typically that's what we have to do here. We have to debark a ship out at sea. We use man ropes. Yeah. Some of us use one, some of us use two. Wow. Uh, it's what we do because quite often this time of the year, uh, you can you can expect to work in 18 plus foot seas quite often. Yeah. And maybe it's blowing 50 knots. I've seen 70 and I'm trying to get off the ship. Sometimes you can't get off a ship. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can get off, but you can't get your brother that's on another ship off of his ship. Wow. So it's, uh, it's a lot of adrenaline. It's a lot of fun. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, folks that are, well, obviously nobody's watching because we're not videotaping this, but uh, Michael here actually, well, my first impression of him when he came out the door was there's this big smile, um, but he also looks very physically fit, if you don't mind me saying. You you, you, you look athletic, you look fit, and uh, you know, and, and I'm guessing you're older than me, but you're, you're still like, you got it. So so it's it's obviously very difficult work, and it, I imagine the Roseway helped out. Sure did. In prepping you for I mean that's all you do is climb the ring <laughs> you know what I was fresh out of the Navy when I got to the deck of the Roseway I made my crew climb hand over hand up the halyards oh, that's wow. what we did we'd have little competitions you know so you got mm -hmm. that upper body strength it's like watching uh, around Cape Horn and Captain Irving Johnson <laughs> in uh, 1929 rounding Cape Horn and all that I kind of stuff that yeah. was uh, I, I definitely plan on doing an episode just about Irving Johnson and uh, that, cool. that movie which everybody who loves boats and history should own Gotta a copy see of around Cape absolutely Horn. <laughs> absolutely you should also see the 1937 copy of Captain's Courageous oh yeah <laughs> yeah with Spencer Tracy Spencer Tracy right mm great sailing scene so yeah um yeah so i made it here well congratulations yeah so so folks i mean yeah helicopter depositing pilots via helicopter that is not standard <laughs> um what i mean you know just just reading about the history i think anybody just type in columbia bar river history and you'll start reading some of the actual excerpts from you know the age of sail when people were trying to cross over this bar and, and I do emphasize the word try like a lot of times it didn't happen there's a reason that the river didn't get navigated right off the bat uh, oh I mean there's some harrowing accounts where I don't want to get into that too much I want to hear about your accounts and I mean you described you, you were describing the seas um, earlier when we were talking like the square swells and it reminded you of the Columbia River bar so what yeah. happens you got all this rushing water coming down the river you got the tide coming in you got wind, wind and wave. You know, wind, wind waves wave. on top of that. You've got this what, what do you huge. Get? So we have a couple of jetties that were built between 1885, mm -hmm. 1895 by the Army Corps of Engineers. North and South Jetty. They pinched down on this river here, which okay, now it's like a a fire nozzle, or just a garden hose. It's aimed to shoot all this sediment that's coming down this huge river. 
You know, this bridge right here in Astoria is four miles long. Massive amount of water dumping out into the Pacific Ocean. And here we have uh, typically our weather comes from the south or southwest in the winter. And now you've got this river and that's where it meets right there in all these shifting sands and it builds on the ebb the other night i had uh, 5.7 knots of ebb current on the bar mm -hmm. uh, i was going out at 18.3 knots on a relatively small vessel just over 400 feet i had to slow the vessel down before we got to the bar i'm down below 12 knots now and then we starting to fill it if you come around that corner and hit that it's like hitting a wall. I mean, you could break all your zincs off in your double bottoms. You could break the windows out of the cranes. The bridge, every, the ship just gets shaken and not stirred. And it's, it's, you've got to know, you've got to keep good control of your ship there. You really do. And uh, everybody's typically inside way before that because mm -hmm. the decks were going to be awash here very soon. Come around buoy eight. And you go from what I was doing, 18.3, now I'm down to four knots. And we just got to ride it out. Um, took me an extra half an hour to get her shaped up where I could actually use a helicopter because I have to get, I have to be able to get down on deck and not get washed over the side. <laughs> so, um, but eventually I did that. I ran with the, with the season's swell and got up on the hatch cover and the helicopter came in and very patient, very talented, incredible helicopter pilots. These are very experienced pilots when they come to us and then they train for two years in order to fly winter winter nights. It's, it's, it's a lot of adrenaline and it's pretty wild when you're in the helicopter and you, you're, you see your rotor very close to these cables on the cranes and um, it takes a lot of a lot of nerve to, to be able to withstand that. The door opens up, the, the wire comes in, you hook up, you climb outside of the helicopter and they lower you down to the deck. And you unhook quick and get to the bridge. <laughs> and, and the crazy part to me, I, I mean, I'm assuming you guys do wait for wind and weather at, at times. Like you don't just go out in, in any condition. So this these are like, this is good enough that we're going. It's like it can get worse yeah. even. I mean, that, that just blows yeah. my mind. We work in heavy duty seas. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just often. understood that has to happen. Yep. It, well, we're actually paid to shut that bar down. I, I think I had the first bar closing this year, my last rotation just a couple weeks ago. And um, yeah, it was seas. 35 foot seas right out here. Uh -huh. And we just, we brought ships up until they were about 22 foot seas, brought them in. You can't necessarily take an outbound ship that's drawn 43 feet. Channels dredged to 43 feet. We typically load Panamax Bulcaris to 43 feet. We control their outbound time from Astoria here. So when we get out there, hey, if it's over 20 feet seas and you're, and the channel's dredged to 55 and you're drawn 43 feet, you can hit bottom. Yeah. You, we cannot do that. We cannot afford to do that. Yeah. So we control all that. That ship, nope, it cannot sail. Okay. Certain ships can, 
but not every so we just really we've got to watch and the we that is the pilots the that's pilots the bar pilots that decision we have a direct line with national weather service we're on uh-huh. the phone all the time to them uh we spend a great deal of time just dealing with the weather here talking yeah. about okay this ship can sail this ship can't this ship can sail at these parameters we like to see flood tide a couple hours of flood tide uh, close to high tide out there on the bar the flood tide helps knock the bar down okay it's a lot better but uh sometimes uh, when i first got in uh, i think when i was training december of 2015 the bar was shut down for a whole week straight and that was like the first time in almost 30 years for a week long closure i think we had a just a couple day closure mm-hmm. uh here a couple weeks ago and uh yeah we sometimes it's shut down for 12 hours and then we open it up trying to slide a few ships out a few ships in and have to shut it right back down then we just yeah we just watch all the the conditions and get what we can get but it has to be done safely yeah for us the pilots for our boat crews for our helicopter crews and for the ship and the sailors right and our environment now folks uh folks that have their own private yachts or private boats do, do you keep in mind even though the scale of the ships we're talking about is is that it's huge obviously um, swells still apply in, in smaller marinas. You know, you do have to be mindful of shoals of swells and factor that in. When you're, when you're coming in, don't you say, oh, yeah, I just, oh, we'll skirt by on six inches. If you got four-foot swells, guess what, buddy? <laughs> like you're you're going to go ground, you're going to lose control of your vessel, and you might get swamped by the bigger ones coming in. So it, it still applies. It, you know, all these principles, when we talk about massive ships or, or tall ships or even little yacht boats and rowboats, like, it's, it can still apply in certain circumstances. And it's just so you always want to kind of file that info in the back of your head. U.S. Coast Guard, Cape Disappointment right here. Over about, typically about 400 rescues a year. Oh, wow. Uh, a month ago, you know, you would think, actually it was about a month and a half ago. Nice Sunday day. Uh, northwest wind. Beautiful. A couple elderly couple sailed right out of here out of the West Morian Basin they uh, they didn't make it they made it past the bar mm-hmm. they uh, I think it was Rockaway Beach just further south of here probably maybe a rogue wave mm-hmm. accidental jibe ripped the whole cabin top off uh, there's the radio gone and uh, they were found ashore on the oh, beach no. It's, it's very dangerous here. Uh, I heard my one of my brothers, one of my fellow uh, bar pilots, yell at uh, an outbound sailing vessel here about a month ago. Where are you going? You think you're going to see? You're not going to see. You will die. You know, get there. You, you really have to watch what you're doing here. Yeah. You really do. Well, I think one people one thing people don't necessarily understand as well is in a in a serious bar crossing, which this is is arguably the most serious one in the world, uh, is that that once that tide switches on you, it can go from like eh, everything's you know this is oh, we're okay to oh dear we're done <laughs> like, yes, and I think a lot of people don't fully respect that or or can even comprehend it until you're in the thick of it and, when, and by then it is too, too late. late, you know. Yeah. 
It's yes, really, you really have, have to be mindful of what's going. And you, yeah, you want to know your tides, your currents, all that, the weather, what you're going into. Yeah. You got to be careful because almost 400 rescues a year is serious. So obviously, as anybody who's been a captain knows, it is one of the most stressful jobs in general. And then you are you are compounding the stress. Like like this is one of the most stressful jobs in the subcategory of, of yeah. captaincy that you can have. Uh, how how do you personally handle handle the stress or, or your brothers? I like that expression. You know, your brothers, my brothers, they are you take care of them. They are. We look out for each other. You know, all of us went to sea. All sixteen of us went. We're deep sea master mariners. Mm-hmm. A lot of experience coming into the group. Uh, and we have a variety of experiences. You cannot be complacent here at all. It will kill you. Mm-hmm. You have got to be on your A game every time. You know, if if you're not using the helicopter, you're using the boat. I couldn't use the helicopter last night. We were fogged in. I was planning on flying. No, couldn't fly. Um, and okay, you've got to stay on your game on that ladder. You've got to stay uh, current, you know, just very experienced. If you don't get on the pilot ladder and just use the helicopter all the time, you rust. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's confidence, you know, it's that experience. And every year come August and September, we've got to make sure we do do the time on the ladder because mm-hmm. we're without a doubt are going to be getting on it in nasty weather and off. Um, you know, that you're on the foredeck of the pilot boat getting hit with a swell spray. You might be cold. Your hands might be frozen. And you might be getting on a frozen icy ladder. And you're working 18 foot seas, you know. And if it's 18 foot seas, there might be a 26 to 28 footer in there and you're alongside and all of a sudden the boat goes up almost 30 feet and it's you want to get off on the top floor you don't want this uh, crouching tiger chasing you up that ladder you got to be careful so it's and it, at night it's a whole different operation and a lot more adrenaline versus the day yeah and uh it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, For folks that haven't been out at sea at night, I, you just can't imagine everything. Everything's bigger. Everything. It. It. It's surreal. Yeah, it really is. I, I don't. I don't know how to explain it to people. It's one of those things you just got to kind of experience. And I'll, you know, and even my experience hasn't been what what you've had. So I'll have to share share a video with you. Uh, I believe it was January 9th, a couple of years ago. I opened the bar. I had a very capable ship, a tanker, outbound, a lot of power. Mm-hmm. You know get you know we're heading out at 15 knots here just below town here and then uh get to the bar we're slowing down slowing down we're using all our power maximum power but now we're just taking it right on the head there and we're down to 3.4 knots now just trying to beat into this huge swell uh, I was seeing 21 foot on the buoy. There was also 25, 26, 27, 28 footers in there. Uh, I, the helicopter could not fly. We were out of those parameters, but I got to get off. I rounded buoy two. We 
We uh, swept a lee with the pilot boat alongside. There's 25 foot of increased draft in the roll. The seas were even with the deck on the starboard side and rolling off to port. I, I, I use a single man rope and I came down the ladder. I jumped and you wanna jump as far outboard right to the deck of the pilot boat and grab that steel railing right there. Something, the boat's mm-hmm. now in your hand. But the man rope went around my left leg, went, kept, picked up my left leg up in the air. I have a deck hand right there. Uh, Reese Johnson was there right there and boom, the man rope went in the air, eventually flicked off of my foot, but uh, it's an eye opener. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Wow. Take a beating. And when you see the video of the ship rolling and the before you even go down on deck to see the seas just even with the deck edge and then rolling off to port, it's uh, it's an eye opener. Yeah. Keep in mind, folks, the videos never do it justice. It really Pictures does. Pictures never do it justice. <laughs> on the, you know, those <laughs> videos all. definitely, it just looks so calm, but you just see this massive amount of rolling. But uh, we took the roll out of the ship mm-hmm. eventually just by swinging it. And then I came down the ladder and jumped, got off. But Incredible. Please, thank you. Thank you yeah. so much for doing this interview. Uh, any any last things you want to say or any anything no. you'd like to uh, just, tell folks out there? Hey, come to Astoria. It's a great town. And yeah, check us is. out. The Bar Pilots. Uh, you know, if, if you guys ever have any questions as far as a career at sea, uh, I highly re- recommend checking out any of the Merchant Marine Academies. Uh, there's a Federal Academy, Kings Point in Kings Point, New York. And there's a bunch of state academies, Maine Maritime, Mass Maritime, Cal Maritime, Texas Maritime, Great Lakes Maritime. It's, uh, I had an incredible 25 years at sea before becoming yeah. a bar pilot. And I've had an amazing career, so much adventure and so much fun and great people. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. That's excellent advice. All right, folks, well, you heard them. So there you go. If you're interested in a career at sea, check out the Maritime Academies. Uh, come visit Astoria. Visit the museums here. They're awesome. And they got the Goonies House. Just so you know, check it out. It's great. Yeah. Um, We've got a great exhibit here at the Columbia River Maritime Museum. And there's a bunch of stuff on the bar pilots there. Yeah. Wonderful. Good stuff. And Cape Disappointment Motor Lifeboat School. That's another thing. Check out the Coast Guard. <laughs> Great adventure there. And the Navy. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate you Camion. doing this. Come My yeah. pleasure. So, folks, uh, oh, thank you so much for listening. I hope, hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, please feel free to, uh, well, check check out your, as we said, we already talked about this area, but definitely check out your, your local tall ships. Uh, buy my kids' book if you get a chance. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's really great. It's called The Greatest Captain in the World. Uh, not a biography on either of us, but uh, I, I think it's pretty good. I don't know. I'll, I'll Michael review it for me, and we'll see how it is. And <laughs> I look forward to that. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. <laughs> yeah, so support me on Patreon if you get a chance. And thank you so much for listening, folks. Wishing everybody out there, especially our bar pilots, fair winds and follows. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. Nice talking with you. Yeah.